Darko Mesrosh is a principal developer advocate at Amazon Web Services, a prolific Twitch streamer, and is the sultan of vintage computing exploration. In this episode, we discuss our favorite announcements from reInvent 2023, and we dig into why staying curious and experimenting is beneficial to lifelong learning and adapting to new technologies in your tech career. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, well, going pretty good. How are you? Uh, never better. Never better. You Have you recovered from uh, reInvent yet? Are you completely uh, recovered? <laughs> I have. So, you know, the thing is, when you go to reInvent, it's a couple of things. It's like all the people. It's lack of sleep. And it's also Las Vegas. So I'm going to blame Las Vegas for everything there because being in Vegas for a week where you don't sleep is just uh, a nightmare to say the least but i'm good now i'm ready my voice is slightly hoarse but uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm getting there did you recover from right. vegas <laughs> yeah so i did re so kind of recover so when i got back i had a red eye on uh, friday and as okay. soon as i got back in in the morning we basically had to turn around and my kid plays travel hockey so i had to drive up to like dayton ohio and stay oh. for two nights so i actually really didn't get home until almost monday oh uh i was after that i kind of came home and just crashed i was burnt out like never before <laughs> well luckily for me I'm, I'm actually this is my last week of working this year so after this friday i'm gonna take like three weeks off and i'm just gonna just, just play minecraft and do nothing so that's gonna be my that sounds like my... a good idea actually after this week <laughs> and i'm taking a half week next week i'll be uh, taking some time out too to recover as you should yeah. as you should yeah so i remember the so when we met in and by the so like i guess to the audience this is going to be completely unscripted usually i have some sort of seed questions but i have enough you know packed into the the cranium that i, I would like to ask here and and talk through so it'll be good um but i remember when we first met in person it was like last year last at year. the aws uh, dc summit i, I was Ex presenting and you did some like debriefing like style interview after I got done and like wipe I was, my I was doing some <laughs> camera work with you so <laughs> so yeah it was fun it was great always meeting you and that's the thing like going to those kinds of events of course reinvent is the biggest one but even going to the smaller summits it's always great to meet people and well you know make these kinds of connections so yeah yeah and summits aren't exactly small they're, they're they've not. gotten pretty big like New York and DC or the, the ones that I've been to anyway. And it's pretty gigantic, all things it, considered. It's it's big. And I always say, like, if anybody out there has a chance to visit the Native Summit, it's it's amazing because, number one, it's free, right? It doesn't cost you anything. It's free to enter. There's free coffee and free food, so why not? Um, but also, you can use it for, like, opportunities to network with people. You can learn things, go to those wonderful talks. There's so many things out there you can kind of check out, experience, and, of course, uh, you know, potentially gain some benefit from yeah i was so nervous at that one too because i'll tell you <laughs> what usually i do like powerpoints at the big ones and i thought for this summit i'm going to do like live coding i'm going to have live infrastructure i'm going to build some stuff and the internet you know there's so many folks there the internet was just kind of flaking out and i was testing my stuff like 30 minutes before i was set to go up and it was 
not having it. And I was get I was really nervous. I thought, oh boy, I'm gonna uh you know, it's gonna be bad. But then I got up and everything, you know, the internet just started doing very well and everything went smooth. So so so, so there's two things that separate okay speakers from really good speakers. <clears throat> Number one, um you are very well prepared. Like you are ready. You have practiced your demo a hundred times. You know everything that can go wrong. You even have a recording of the demo just in case. Or you're able to wing it. Um, I am the latter. I don't I don't prepare. I'm horrible at preparing. But if something goes wrong, I'm just gonna figure it out as it goes. Um and if you can do that properly, people will appreciate that. So um the worst thing you could do is, of course, is just like freak out and like, uh, I'm sorry, that was my talk. And then, yeah, I'm going to go hide. See you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know uh, Kelsey Hightower was, he's had that happen a few times where things have broken down on stage and he's, his method of just going and chronologically figuring it out and making it, you know, making it a show. Making and, it a show. Know, it's really awesome. So last year, last year, uh, I did a talk at reInvent and, um, I demoed a couple of open source tools and one of them failed. Just spectacularly didn't work. Um, the reason it didn't work is just because I wasn't ready and it was my fault. But it was a room of like 600 people and everybody's watching. And my demo just stops. And I'm like, okay. Did anybody see what went wrong? And everybody's just looking. They're trying to. So I, I spent like five minutes taking the audience through my debugging process. Until we all figured it out, it was a it was a thing missing in the configuration file. So um, it again, make a show, make it fun, make it educational, right? Because it's like it's not like you shouldn't just solve it and move on. Tell them how you solved it. Tell them what's wrong. Tell them how you fixed it. Because hey, they're gonna run into the same issue. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's great advice. Yeah, I mean, you really can't go wrong. Um, yeah, piecing everything together and. <clears throat> Yeah, just yeah. the whole whole thing is like not getting nervous and knowing that things can go wrong and being comfortable. Being comfortable because I always I always tell people I I actually am one of the speaker coaches at AWS, so I teach other speakers how to be good speakers. One of the things I keep telling people, uh, and this is something I learned, is that in most cases, ninety nine point nine percent of the cases, everybody in the audience is on your side. Everybody wants you to succeed because if they don't want you to go and fail, right? It's no, they, they invested money, time, and effort to come and learn something from you. Nobody's going to be there to make you, make you suffer or make you fail. They're going to laugh at you because they're not. So everybody's on your side. You always have to think about like, if, if, if things go wrong, at least the most amazing audience is here to keep me company. So um, yeah, confidence. Be, be sure of yourself because remember, you know more. You probably know more about that topic than the audience coming here to watch you because they came here to learn, right? Yeah. And, you know, having a speaker coach to that, to that effect. So I, I've done so many events like over the years and then, you know, as I've done like more things with like AWS and some other like larger conferences, they offer these speaking coaches as part of the, Hey, you know, you want to get prepared and you know, the speaker coaches that I've actually listened to and you know, gone through their talk have been just so helpful, tremendously helpful. And the way that I am able to present now is probably twice as good just by listening to, to some of this advice. It's, it's great. It's so much worth it. So definitely don't, 
be always open to suggestions and criticisms because that will help you be a better speaker, no matter how good you think you are. Yeah. And and by the so it's funny before reinvent. So I, I had a beard that was probably about as long as yours. I was really digging it. I loved it. Um, I don't know why I'm going to tell this on the podcast, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. Why not? <laughs> so it's so the night before I'm set to fly out to Vegas. It's it actually it had just hit midnight. Um, my flight took off at 4 a.m. So I have four hours. I have everything packed. I'm ready to go. And my, my sideburns are getting a little crazy. So I have two sets of clippers and I grabbed the wrong set of clippers and went right up the side of my face and it went like down, down to the skin, pretty much the beard and the sideburn just completely like, and so I'm like looking at the hair down on my shirt and I look in the mirror and I actually look at myself and I said, what did you do? And so I go up and I'm like, I get my wife and I'm like, Hey, you've got to fix this. And she looks one look and just burst out laughing. She's like, I don't even know if a barber can fix that. So I, uh, I'm on the plane at four, you know, 5am or whatever. And I have a hat like pulled all the way down, you know, covering pretty much my whole face. And as soon as we hit, um, hit land and in, in Vegas, I ran to a great clips and yeah, it was interesting. See- See, like I, I have not seen my face in like eleven years. I, uh, I, I, I have a very, the beard looks okay, but I have a very slow growing beard. Like if I would shave this, at least eight months to grow back. Like it's just really bad. So I'm really hoping not to do it. But what you, ex- what you just described is one of my nightmares. When I always go to like clip my beard, I'm like. Is this okay? Is this like, is this the correct one? Is this the correct size? I don't want to make a mistake. So I have to kind of cut it all off because people would be afraid. So no. <laughs> yeah. And you mess it up and that's a feeling of dread. You're it's, oh, especially before, you know, the biggest event in the world, pretty much, you know, one wrong, yeah, one wrong move. You ought to do it the week before. The week before. Yeah, exactly. And it's also so fragile. One wrong move and you're done. And you're done. So, but yeah, that's, oh, that's yeah. good. So it looks speaking great. of reInvent, you know, reInvent's like always a blast. It's, it's, it's packed full of great announcements and lots of hype. And this year, you know, no different. It was, uh, well, I guess it was a little different because it's been the year of AI. Um, do you have any favorite announcements that got kicked out or, you know, what really stood out to you other than like getting to nerd out with like me and other builders at Buddy V's? <laughs> so, okay. When it comes to the actual launches, I, I would actually say that my favorite sets of launches are usually the launches that come pre reinvent because uh, the thing is a lot of the bombastic stuff comes like during reinvent. Oh, service, blah, Graviton 15, blah, all of those like really big Amazon Q, right? Um, but I'm a big fan of like things that are um, that are kind of as an operations person. I like those things that kind of sit in the back um, and, and do stuff. So for example, one of the things that was released just before reInvent um, is still related to generative AI. It's Code Whisper command line. Code Whisper command line is uh, is basically if you um, if you ever used Fig on Mac OS, it's kind of that. It's like a little command line assistant utility where you can actually um, use generative AI to help you do command line stuff. So, uh, like a lot of people out there, I never know how to post data to an API. 
I know I have to use curl and then dash X, I believe, and then uh, I have to define the data. I, I, I always forget, right? So um, what com uh, CodeWhisperer helps you with doing this is that hey, it actually, you can just do a, uh, a pound sign, so a comment, and do like uh, post data to an API gateway. Hit enter, it generates you the command, and you can go. So really wonderful, really good for, for a lot of people who have to do stuff. And I, I strongly believe that no engineer, no developer ever wants to leave the comfort of their command line, text editor, or IDE. So if I don't have to open up a Google, a Google tab or something like that to kind of find which is the correct command I want to run, I would rather not do that. So uh, that's actually one of my favorite launches. Yeah, I actually got to mess around with uh, Code Whisper a little bit and some of the newer services. You know, that's one of the, honestly, like one of the perks of being a, a community builder for me. I guess the biggest perk of being a community builder is the credit yeah. Um, oh, yeah. that you get. And you get a lot of credit. You can't, yeah. you know, one does not simply blow through all that credit unless you're deploying some gigantic instances for machine learning things or something like that. So, yeah, getting to test all these new services out and just mess around with things is, it's wonderful. You know, it's it, wonderful. It, yeah. yeah. Free yeah. learning. Free learning. Exactly. And, you know, to add one more thing to the launches is that, um, and it's also kind of like one of the things that you don't really see unless you really know to where to look at, about it, or actually not even that you know where to look, but unless you really need it is like, um, so Lambda functions, right? We all love Lambda functions. Everything runs on Lambda functions. I think next to S3, Lambda is like the pillar of the cloud. Um, you can scale Lambda functions indefinitely. I'm going to put a big old asterisk here. You can do a lot of scaling with Lambda functions. Um, one of the things that was released, well, released, one of the features added, one of the improvements added to, to the world of Lambda is that now Lambda functions are like 12 times more scalable, which means that in the past, to scale from zero to 10,000 Lambda functions, it would take around three minutes. Right, 10,000 concurrent Lambda functions. Um, with this new thing, it takes around a minute. Uh, so, like, it's 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 way faster. It's like just like within the scope of a minute, you can have 10,000 concurrent Lambda functions just executing, doing whatever you need to do. Um, so that is a that's a really great thing when it comes to performance of your application scalability. And again, I know most of us don't run 10,000 concurrent Lambda functions, but if you need to, you can. So, always great to see some some of the improvements behind the behind the scenes. And I I'm sure there's a lot of effort and work uh, at play here when it comes to improving those things and optimizing. So, big fan of that. Yeah, that's not a small optimization either. That's not a small little speed improvement. That's no. that's a big big one right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And what is your favorite launch? So, like, uh, I'm. I'm really uh network infrastructure. Um that's like my background. Yeah. And like the hardware, like one thing I think is really cool with AWS, and if you talk about the uh competition with other cloud providers for AI domination, I think this is one of the things that does set uh, Amazon Web Services apart, is you know, rolling some of their own optimized hardware. And I don't know what the the I think the improvement for Graviton four yeah. was like it was like fifty percent more cores and like uh, sixty or seventy percent more memory bandwidth and all these things and you even have like R eight G you know instances getting launched into preview yeah. uh, so like 
really to me like one gigantic problem I see with like AI and like I'd say like enterprise adoption of like utilizing AI is like optimizing the hardware that underpins everything. And then also like optimizing the new things built atop that hardware. So the more optimized, you know, Graviton for, you know, Tranium 2, yeah, Tranium 2, you know, second gen chip for for the uh, uh, foundation models. We're talking like hundreds of billions of parameters. I think those are... Like normally, like at these launches, I don't even care about this stuff. It's like, oh, it's cool. Okay, whatever. Things have gotten faster. But now, like with the way that all the baggage that comes along with AI and really like really needing to go back and focus on optimization, I think these are these are important launches. Absolutely. Because I think I think, you know, like we, we love to talk about being sustainable, energy efficient, and all those things, even Werner in, in one of his keynotes, he says, like, well, we should all just do rust now, because it's more efficient. But um, if, if you look at the other side, like lang- large language models eat a lot of power, right? So um, you definitely need to have more optimized CPUs, more focused silicon that can, can help you do more things. Like, I'm actually hoping for a, for a world and a time where we can run LLMs on, on, on ESP32s or whatever you want to call these things in the future, right? So from optimizing the actual large language models to optimizing the storage required to even like making cheap, dedicated, low power switch, uh, chips um, that can run these things. So I think, you know, even if, if when it comes to like, a, you're not going to run a full large language model on these ones, but, you know, in the future, why not? Why not a smaller model? I mean, um, it's it's like even a year ago, it's been almost, it, it was thought almost impossible to run like the models locally, or it would take, require a lot of oomph, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of power. But a lot of those models are more optimized these days. And of course, the CPUs are a bit more optimized. So yeah, big fan of that. I, I fully agree with you. Um, uh, although I'm going to, I am always going to laugh at the name Tranium because I really would love to have been in that meeting where somebody sat down. Okay, friends, we're going to have to name a new CPU that's dedicated for training. Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna name a new piece of silicon that's gonna be for training machine learning models, and somebody from the back of the room, train it up, and <clears throat> that's it. So I, I don't know if that's the case, but that's uh, um, so true. It is. It's it with is. some some of the AWS service names. You gotta hand it to them. You wonder like where, uh, why? My favorite you know, service name, Monitron. <laughs> I mean, it's everything it's everything i ever wanted to in a service to be named monitron now for for the people out there what is monitron uh, monitron is actually a physical device it's a physical device you attach to the machines and uh, through the power of whatever uh the cloud it, it actually detects potential uh, irregularities in the machine different vibrations different these things temperature changes so it can monitor uh monitron your machines and uh, in, in production. So the best service name in the world, Monitron. Yeah, but I mean, if Alexa, if Alexa was actually listening and you said Monitron, uh, Alexa would think that you said Megatron, probably. Maybe. Probably. Yeah, yeah, there's, a... yeah. <laughs> it, this it year, is what it is. It, yeah. Yeah, there's only so many names, though, and there's patents for things. So like eventually, like there's only so many cloudy type there's so many i mean that's one thing when i was walking the expo this go around you know some of these new vendors i was you know just thinking wow you know that's an interesting name but then i got to thinking you know well there's only so many names that we can come up with 
we are running out of names for for companies, specifically cloud companies, specifically AI companies. I think we're running out yeah. of AI domains. So <laughs> it's um, mm-hmm. it is it is interesting, like because like I think I think this year's reInvent uh, had less launches than usual. Like if you go just a couple of years back, we had like a a laundry list of new launches with fantastically sounding names like Tranium and Monitron and and um. Well, not Infinity Dash, but like you know, uh, MWAA or MWA. It's manage work, manage workflow for Apache Airflow. No, manage workspace for Apache Airflow or something like that. It's it's like great. Um, yeah. The the one that I did like. So the, uh, normally, like these names, I don't really care so much but the one that i really did like was when they launched a vpc lattice i was like okay i like that it's yeah. different it's short i can remember it you can remember it and yeah, yeah very very nice and memorable simple. memorable names are great and I, I mean i'm I'm always gonna i'm always gonna make fun of this and I'm, I'm a big fan of of this service or this set of services but aws systems manager uh is uh, as an operations person is one of my favorite services out there because it kind of has all of the tools i need but the naming i think they're doing it intentionally because you have a service that's called aws systems manager and underneath the systems manager you have plenty of other managers you have operations manager you have uh, change manager you have secrets manager you have sessions manager you have um, application manager you have a few managers underneath so basically it's like AWS systems manager x manager so it's funny it's great keep at it we just need the systems manager at least manager, it wasn't manager, like spog for like single pane of glass manager <laughs> or something like that we need a yeah. manager manager we need a manager manager next time so we can manage all the managers so oh my god there we go there we go there we go so, so yeah. the, the primary so like the reason i really wanted to talk to you uh, you know, have this little chit chat and such um, is is basically thinking about, you know, the idea of like staying curious and experimenting with things. So you have uh, what I would say is a very interesting hobby where you kind of collect old tech. And, and when I say old, I mean stuff that like predates when some of us were born. Oh, and yeah. you, you sort of take that technology and you do things on it that it wasn't built for. Like deploying Kubernetes with a Tandy portable from from like the eighties. So how did how did this start and when did it start? So okay, um, a bit of background. Um, so I come from Serbia, right, which is southeast Europe, and um, I grew up in a country in a time when we didn't really have a lot. Like it was economic sanctions, literally, literally nothing in my life in my early days was a computer. Like, and uh, actually, I grew up with a computer. I'm gonna show it to you with one of these so this kids is a commodore 64 uh a commodore 64 is a computer from 1984 and um i grew up with a commodore 64 actually i have uh, i have a book this is a book in serbian and it says uh commodore 64 easy program or something like that. and it's a book that kind of contains how to do stuff on the computer, right? And how to write basic. Now, why I'm saying this? I was born in 1988, way before, way past when this computer was launched. I got this computer in 1991, and it was my only computer, primary and only computer until 2001. 
So way past anything this thing could do. And um, I grew up on it. I basically wrote basic programs. I would I would code a, a game on it. Like I would just code a game by myself from a book, play it for a couple of days. I, I couldn't turn off the computer because I had no tape drives or anything like that. I had to just program the game on it, uh, <laughs> keep it running unless my mom turns it off, and then just play with it. So I I, I became enamored by old computers. And as, as things progressed, I got better computers. When I say better, I mean, in 2001, I got a 486, which is uh, which was a computer from 1994. So uh, kind of better. Uh, but I, 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 I managed to squeeze as much as I can from these computers, and I felt good about it. And of course, I moved on. I got the actual modern current day computers in like the early 2000s. Um, and since I skipped this whole part of computing in the 90s and the 80s, just because number one, I wasn't bored. Or number two, it didn't, they didn't exist in my country. I kind of felt amazed by like, okay, what is this thing that I missed? Like, I missed the early apples. I missed like the 1990s Pentium 2s and like uh, specific Amiga hardware from the 90s. So um, I started collecting those things. And, um, you know, you buy an old computer, what do you do with it? What, what's the, like, what, okay, cool. Clean it up, it works. I can play video games on it. Yeah, that's fine. But I can also play games on an emulator. So um, I decided, like, with every old computer, I'm going to try to connect it to the internet in whatever shape or form. I want it to interact with the modern world, even if it means cheating or kind of doing it in a very sneaky way. So as you see, as you mentioned me deploying Kubernetes with a Tandy 102, it's a, it's a portable computer from 1986. Um, Tandy does not know how to work with Kubernetes. However, a lot of those old computers are just, or can be, just dumb terminals. Just a place where you can hit the keyboard and through a power of a serial connection, that keyboard input goes somewhere else and you get get something back. So what I do is like I, I have a bunch of like these modems <laughs> that connect to modern network inter- infrastructure and um, they just act as like um, remote connections to like a Linux box via Telnet or something like that. So um, a lot of the old computers I have around have done something on the internet, be that um, launch um, a Kubernetes cluster or I've recently... So do you know what a K-Pro is? A K-Pro computer. I don't have it uh-uh. here. So a K-Pro is something that they used to call a luggable. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big... It looks like a, like, a, like a piece of luggage. It's a big old heavy box. It has a green screen monitor a keyboard that's almost basically this size and um you open it up and it like works it runs off of floppy disks and whatnot it's not from 1983 1982 actually and um i managed to <laughs> write some cdk aws cdk on it again through the power of a serial connection and a terminal and whatnot so i created modern modern cloud infrastructure using that why I don't know. <laughs> so, it's just so, cool, though. It's just because cool. you, I mean, really, so, you know, when I started experimenting with technology, like, much later than you did, um, you know, of course, there was no cloud. You know, and the first time I installed and set up uh, this little Linux distribution back in the 90s called Slackware. Yeah. And, like, it didn't have a, there was, like, no easy point-and-click UI. Like, it was largely text-based. 
and required me, the installer, to understand the system's yep. hardware and partitioning. There was no Debian app or uh, Red Hat uh, R- RPM. Nope. You know, and sometimes if you wanted something special, you know, you wanted to be special, you had to compile Linux kernel. Exactly. And you know, just different different days now. And I feel like uh, honestly, one of the things that I so a lot of uh, you know folks coming out of college, like I. That one of my past employers actually helped uh, manage the college intern program and sort of helped place people. And I realized that, you know, a lot of the college graduates were coming out and they didn't really understand things like how file systems worked. And like some of the things that like was like the first thing that I would have learned just because there's so many layers on top of it now. And a lot of times they're jumping like right into code. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, do you, do you think understanding these old technologies or like even the nuts and bolts that underpin current technologies, like that's got to be useful for, for builders going into the future, right? Like, especially if you're thinking of like optimization, that's becoming important. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I, I absolutely agree. Right. And I think, you know, of course, to, to an extent, not, you know, you potentially don't have to think about how data is written on a magnetic disk. It doesn't really matter, but you need to understand some of the basics of computer science. Right. Um, I, I always say like, and I kept this, I kept mentioning this a lot is that we've lost the art of optimization. Everybody has unlimited resources in the cloud. Did I say you can launch 10,000 Lambda functions to run concurrently? Absolutely you can. You can do 15,000, 25,000 if you want. Um, so people are just basically going ham. They're just like, you know what? I'm just going to throw stuff, throw code, heavily unoptimized code. I'm just going to run. It's going to power through it. So understanding some of the basics, understanding how, what's a CPU cycle? understanding how computer handle me- handles memory because we don't have to worry about memory handling anymore uh, understanding how certain things are written to disk maybe what format is better how what's the what's the sector size what's those things um will help you be a bit more optimized like i i used to write applications for for this thing and um and the atari 2600 you know what atari 2600 is it's the game oh, yeah. console. Yeah, yeah. So game console where, where Yeah. So I had one for a little while, but it uh, yeah. that sucker was done. Yeah, so 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 game console that used to run Pac-Man and a very bad version of Pac-Man and, and indeed. The the console itself has 128 bytes of RAM. You can count to 128. That's how much RAM it has. And of course, the rest of the memory is on the cartridge, but um you have to be really cognizant of the trade-offs you make when you make a certain call to the CPU, right? So you have to do everything manually. You have to understand that, hey, if I use this uh, this system call, or it's not even a system call, this, this CPU flag, whatever, in, in assembly language, it will take two CPU cycles. But if I use the other one, it's going to take three. That means I'm, lo- I'm I'm gaining an extra CPU cycle. Will that impact performance? Maybe I don't know. So, of course, we don't. You sh- you should never do anything like that unless you're building for like very limited embedded systems. But for like normal systems, you shouldn't worry about that. But it's good to know. It is good to understand 
What is a TCP, TCP handshake? How does that work? Would a lot of TCP handshakes affect the performance of your application or not? Remember, everything takes time. We still haven't figured out how to increase the speed of the propagation of electrons in, in matter. So still, is everything is limited by the speed of light. Um, so you still reach bottlenecks, especially as we're talking about now with the amount of data and processing we need to do for generative AI workloads. It is insane. So um, understanding some of the low-level low elements is absolutely useful. And that's why I think all technology, computers such as these, kind of help you understand more because it's so simpler on these systems. There's not a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but not, not nearly close as to a modern system. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I, I would say even in computer science majors, even just going through the process of like building a computer oh, yeah. and understanding like the different components, that definitely doesn't hurt. Um, my, my favorite thing I like to show, especially I um, to, to like college students, like I used to speak to college students about certain things when it comes to computing, computer science, is I like to show them this. This. So this, let me show you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this, hello, kids, is a modem. It's a modem, a modulator demodulator, as they call it. <clears throat> so this thing used to be something we used to use to connect to the internet or to a server or something else. So these things would basically get network traffic from your computer to whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> there was no TCP. Well, there was, but you didn't need TCP to use this. Like, there was none of that. It was pure just data switching, just serial connection from here to your computer or whatnot. And when I speak to, 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 to some younger audiences and I tell them this thing would convert sound into data, and they're like, what? Sound into data? How is that possible? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, everything that goes through your phone line is sound. It's, it, it didn't used to be digital. It's digital these days. But back in the day, it was literally just analog, analog signals, sound. And this thing can convert that sound, or convert the changes in that sound to data which is fascinating. It's such a fascinating device. Um, and I actually encourage people out there. So if you ever heard, and I'm sure you heard about it online, like the, uh, when you like see the, the modem sound, when like you're connecting to a dial-up dial -up connection, that modem sound contains so much coolness in it. I actually have a poster of it on my wall, the whole handshake of a modem. It's amazing. It's like there's, there's two modems. Imagine there's one modem and two modems. This one picks up the phone and calls the other modem using the phone. Literally, just a phone call. And the other one answers, hello, this is modem, blah, 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 and these are my capabilities. This one responds back, hi, my name is modem, blah, 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 and these are my capabilities. The first one says, okay, let's use this capability to talk. Okay, let's do that. And they just start talking, which is glorious. It's all done through, through sound. I'm just, just a big fan of that. Give me the good stuff. Yeah. You know, with modems, you know, like thinking back, it, it almost pains me that newer technologists will never have to go through this because it's like you and I, so I was born in 87 and dial up, of course, the advances, the speed and all these things from your dial up to now, you know, circuit switch networking, you know, IP based networking, you know, having one, you know, having to share the phone line, um, not having multiple phone lines, you know, okay, can I get on the internet? 
Oh, oh. and now everything, like if you look at like where we were back in the nineties there to like where, you know, a simple smartphone is now like the, the amount of change is just unfathomable. And it's, I mean, we're not, we're not super old, No, no. you know, it's, it's crazy. And it makes me wonder like with the technologists that are coming into play right now, what is it going to look like yeah. when they've gone through that gap in time? And, you know, it, and every bit of technology, like again, you and I are not that old. We, we are old, but like not that old, but every bit of technology in the last 15, 20 years has changed so dramatically. When I said change, I don't mean fundamentally it hasn't changed. Fundamentally, we're still using copper, we're still using electrons, and we're still using magnets to an extent, right? So fundamentally, the CPU in this computer is same as the CPU in Graviton 4. Fundamentally, it's the same. You're making a bunch of calls to the CPU, it's doing magic with numbers and all that fun stuff. However, the, the exponential rise of the capacities of those things is insane. Right, the capacities, the speeds, the transfer rates is insane. Like you mentioned, dial-up modem. The most we can get out of dial-up modem is fixed fifty-six point six kilobytes. If you're lucky, like I couldn't get beyond forty-two or forty-six thanks to old phone lines. Um, so so like, do I have something? I have a lot of old computer stuff here. So let's let's bring something up. Okay, this is. It's a television and radio licensing. This, my friends, is an eight-inch floppy disk. Um, so it's a big floppy disk. You're 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 most likely used to like normal size floppy disks. Where, um, this audience has probably never used a floppy disk. I'd probably imagine. you've never used a floppy disk. But <laughs> when you, the save button, the save button, yes, uh, the save button is. This is a normal floppy disk, right? So this is the normal floppy disk that most of us used in the 90s. And this is an 8-inch. Come on. And this is an 8-inch floppy disk. This thing has 10 times, more than 10 times the data this thing can hold, right? And this is like 130 kilobytes of data at most, depending on how you format it, depending if it's double-sided or not. So, a lot of data. But when you look at like a large language model today, it's like, I don't know how much terabytes of data is that just to model itself. So, so things have yeah. exponentially scaled up. The folks training the models probably don't know how much data, to be honest. <laughs> that yeah. is also true. That is also, also very, very true. So, yeah, um, this and, has and, been this is I love how you have all this stuff just laying around. <laughs> I have some old stuff, too, but like I, I if it breaks, I get rid of it. I, I don't have as much old stuff anymore. I wish so, I would have kept, you know, held on to some of it. I, I am fortunate enough that I can I can I can keep this collection. And I, I you know, I from time to time I spend money for it. I build stuff. I fix stuff. I, I learned sufficiently enough that I can like repair a motherboard to an old computer. Um, so, of course, um, if something is broken beyond like beyond fixing I, I keep it as a as a museum piece it looks nice it's always it's always nice to look at a big old beige box um and and so so yeah um you know and and it's 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 really interesting to see like how things have progressed like from from okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take my modem out again this is the guts of the modem of that modem uh look at that yes it's beautiful glorious it even has a speaker in the back because it's a it's a phone it's basically a phone um 
But all of this thing can now be compressed into like a single die. Just a single small die can do this and more, much more efficiently, much more fast. And yeah, but it's so yeah, good. I think there's it. only so much more we can actually do with innovation in this realm beyond, you know, before we go to like, uh, you know, supercomputing and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, um, and I would say, like, again, it's still fundamentally the same thing. Like, it's still, you're flip, flipping bits. You're, you're, you're doing, we're still doing binary. Remember, we're still working in the world of binary as, as a computer from the 1960s did. We're, we're still doing the same thing. Nothing has changed because ones and zeros. Ones and zeros, my friend. Ones yeah. and zeros. So, how do you, so you're, you know, developer advocate, obviously. How do you keep up with the rapid pace of advancements? So, you know, you work at AWS, there's, you know, that piece of it. But yeah. knowing and like advocating for AWS specific services, yeah, you have to learn those. But, you know, getting to know you a little better now, you know, I feel like, okay, Darko, the technologist, the geek, you know, you stay up to date with the goings on of tech more broadly. So what are your speeds <laughs> and feeds and podcasts and all that stuff? How do you, how do you keep up with things? So I would say my primary, primary consumption, the primary um, method of, 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 of consumption is YouTube and Twitch. So I love to consume video content. It's kind of like a thing I really love to do. Um, I watch other people do stuff. The reason I do that is that it, I, I, I try to stay curious. Like one of the, one of the things I really like to do is I like to stay curious. I think like, um, being an engineer is not, uh, this sounds, this is going to sound so cheesy. I'm sorry. Um, uh, being an engineer is not about having a diploma or having a, having a, what kind of college degree you have. It's about being excited when you see this, right? When somebody shows you an ESP32, you're like, Oh yes, I can do so many things with it. It's amazing. I can, I can make my hat glow, whatever. Right. Um, I feel like I get excited for technology like that. No matter what the technology, no matter how old the technology, no matter how new or, or weird the technology is, I always get excited by it because I see potential in it, right? And that kind of keeps me curious. That keeps me going for looking at new things. Um, I'm a big fan of like practical knowledge. Uh, I have never been to college. I've never, I don't have a degree. I have never been officially, I have never went past my high school and all of my knowledge again was through practical doings. So watching other people do stuff, um, listening to other people do stuff um, is kind of, that keeps me in the loop as well. And again, I advocate for you the, the developers of AWS at AWS and people who use the cloud because I advocate for myself, because I find this interesting. I find this important. I find this as a thing that can help you, you know, kind of survive another day in your job, which is, which is really important. Yeah. It's funny you say, so I, I did go to college, but I'm a dropout. I, I made it almost a whole week before I dropped out of my local community college, because I'll tell you what, I had a job I was doing. Like when I was in high school, um, I was doing, so I'd gotten a basic tech job, but I was doing consulting on the side with someone that like, I'm just, I almost was in the right place at the right time. So to kind of like back up a little bit, I had this like back surgery when I was younger okay. and my thing to pass time was learning Linux, setting up, I set up a file and print server in my home, like hardwired some stuff. Like it was a blast. And so I got to like kind of through experiment and accident and curiosity, I got to know Linux fairly well. So I had someone in my family that had me, you know, he's like, Hey, 
you want to come and do some work on the side with me? So we did everything from like, you know, running the infrastructure, running the networking to at one point, it was when VMware first really, you know, hit the scene. We were doing like physical to virtual migrations. And I was getting like all this experience at a super young age. And I was like making good money at the time too. Yep. And I didn't have any time left. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I just, okay, I'll come back to college. But then I never did because it just things started building momentum and, and building and building and building. So yeah, I mean, college isn't for everybody, and, and there are certain jobs where you you have to have it. But of course, yeah. I don't I don't want to go to a doctor who's self thought. Like I don't want to go to a doctor, a surgeon who's like, oh, I just practice at home. What? No. Um, but, but no, absolutely. And I think I think we are we are uh, we are fortunate enough that our uh, our line of work, you're still able to just get better at it at home. Like you don't have to go to school. You don't have to pay when it comes to the U.S hundreds of thousands of dollars for for a big old education you can do stuff yourself and that is the beauty of it um and again as as long as you're interested like, like why did you set up a print server at home like you didn't need a print server like it was cool but you set it up because it's interesting it's fun it's great to do it and that's why a lot of engineers do it they they do it just for the for the hell of it it's just like you love it you it's 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 a it's a cool thing to try out and then you get to try more things, right? I don't program assembly for the sixty uh, for the sixty five hundred two CPU because I think it's important. It's not, <laughs> but it is fun. It is interesting. It is it is cool when you get to learn things. Um, and again, I don't know. It's it's a self of I think it's a uh, not self. It's a it's a feeling of self accomplishment when you make something and it works. It's you know we're all still big kids, and we love it when our toys start working. And that's that's it. Yeah. And I mean, you get some, I, mean, I have all these old, like, I still have probably like half my lab gear for whenever I, way back when I first took the CCNA, like you, like in order to study for these, these, these certs back in the day, like you, you had to pay thousands of dollars and order physical hardware from eBay, have it delivered to your house. Some stuff would work. Some stuff would stay on arrival. You'd have to send it back and you'd have to build this lab. And then configure all of it, like it. It was so much of a time sink, and I loved it because I learned a lot, and it was really exciting for me. But now, like the barrier to entry, the barrier to learning is just. I mean, AWS free tier. Oh yeah, it's awesome, awesome. And like, oh, that's always that's always the thing that kind of. I, I when I was younger, I also was a big. I wanted to be a big Cisco guy. Like Cisco was everything, right? In the in the early two thousands, like everything was on Cisco. Every all the best tech jobs well best paid tech jobs were in cisco and my biggest challenge is like i could never practice with cisco because you needed gear and again where i come from we just couldn't buy it like a single switch would be the equivalent of like half of my yearly income which is no um and and i was always surprised and i don't know this and here's a question for the people in cisco why was there no virtualization software why was there nothing i can sit around at home and emulate a switch and play with it so I don't know if that came later on, but I would have really liked to have yeah, that. It did come later on. Like first, they they got like the layer three, the routing stuff. Um, there was a open source project called GNS three, and then okay. since then, there's actually like a lot of good software that does layer two as well, like you know switching frames and whatnot. So that has progressed. So the bear, I mean, you still it's probably good to have some physical gear. Yeah. Um, I, I've honestly have some dl360s hp pro lines uh, yeah. and i'm you know 
have KVM <laughs> running on them and I do all sorts of fun experiments. Like my, my home internet comes into a virtual firewall. Like I plug it right into the back of my server. Okay. I have a NIC that's passed through, you know, hardware passed through to the actual VM and my speeds are just the same. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, modern hardware is just crazy. Like I, uh, when it comes to the home, home labs, I have a, I have a, I have a six year old desktop computer, just an Intel. Uh, I think it's eighth gen i7. I have uh, I have Proxmox running on it, so like virtualization software. And my development environment, my dev box, is sitting there. Like I have a little Linux machine where I just do all my development on because I just like some Linux. And um, next to that, my entire NAS system that that hosts like twenty terabytes of storage is sitting on a VM with a pass through SCSI card. So not SCSI, SAS card. Um, I'm just passing the whole car through it uh, to the VM and it just works like a charm. So that's awesome. Yeah, so, I use Proxmox too. I was using ESXi for the longest time, yeah. but Proxmox KVM can do it's really yeah. It's it's awesome. Virtualization in the earlier that, days it was really hard to set up, but now yeah, it's yeah. But easy. virtualization has gone so much even from like the last 15 years, like again, 15 years ago, like VMware was the king. Like you had Zen as well. Zen was doing something with, with virtualization, which I think AWS virtualization is also based on Zen to an extent. Um, yeah, Microsoft had virtual server. If you remember that, Microsoft had a virtual server kind of a deal. Uh, they had, of course, virtual PC, but they had virtual server as well that turned into Hyper-V. But these days, like you have Proxmox is a fully fledged enterprise thing you can run. Like just no joke. It works like a charm, of course, in VMware as well. It's just, just the advancements are so up there right now that you can easily run a full-on gaming system gaming pc in a virtual machine with gpu pass-through and everything it's just 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 glorious yeah and all the tools that you use to configure everything <laughs> terraform packer all the different things they're open source so you can experiment as much as you want without any cost i'm, I'm such a sucker for automation um, i used to be what they used to call a systems administrator right and uh our, my job was to configure systems, install operating system, install software, manage it, patch it, all that fun stuff. And the biggest pain in my life was you set up a system, you work on it, you make a change, and it breaks everything. And then what do you do? Do you spend the next month or week trying to figure out what went wrong, uh, trying to do it? A lot of times I would just go ahead and, and tear it all down, just shut it down, reinstall, and start from scratch because it was easier and faster to do. Um, and now, <laughs> with the tools of automation, your Terraforms, your, your Ansibles, your Pulumis, your CDKs, your CloudFormations, you can deploy infrastructure in a minute, but you can also destroy it in a minute, which is, which is my favorite feature. That's the big thing right there is destroying it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it works like Very a job. easy. Like, one of my jobs was, um, was um, the title was Server Provisioning Administrator. And my job was to install operating systems on servers. And um, it was done in one big tele teleco company. And um, like you would get like actual physical, 500 physical servers in a data center like in Fairbanks, Alaska. Really far away, really slow connection. <clears throat> and you have to install the OS on it remotely from Europe. And the way you, I would do that is like, it, usually IBM servers or Dell or HPs. And you take your favorite Java-based remote administration utility, you take a mouse, you mount an ISO, and you go next, next, next. And do that 500 times. Oh my 
God, that was talk about tedious. Talk about tedious, and like every yeah. system needs to be reconfigured. Something sometimes it's Linux, sometimes it's Windows, sometimes it's it's Solaris. Um, so um, it was a lot of those things, and just um, I'm so happy with today's automation capabilities. So thank you, thank you, cloud, whatever cloud you yeah. are. Thank you, cloud. Likewise, I, I'm an automation junkie myself, but yeah. Hey, so one one, I guess I gotta. I want to ask a few more questions. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I know, like at the moment, the whole world kind of is revolving around AI is like the emerging trend. The you know, it's almost so polarizing. It's kind of getting it to be a bit much sometimes. Yeah. But um, are there any other emerging trends or new tech that you think is promising aside from AI? You know, that you're excited about. My excitement now is that. Um... And this is maybe biased because I am a fan of old technology, and and sometimes uh, in the in the olden days uh, we had numerous different CPU architecture types. Right in the past, you had x86, you had PowerPC, you had Spark, you had MIPS, all of those different CPU architectures that were really good for something. And then what happened? All of a sudden, it was like all of it was gone, just gone. The only thing we're left with is x86, and of course, your phone, and then which is ARM, and then all of a sudden, ARM is coming back like from desktop hardware, like Apple stuff, uh, to mobile phones, to now server hardware. I'm hoping that more and more people invest into things like Risk Five, different CPU architectures that are going to be more efficient, more uh, well built for that specific task, and then we get. We get, I, I hate to use the word, but we get a quantum leap in performance, in capacities on CPUs just because we choose to use a different type of architecture. So that's kind of my thing. I, I feel like we're going to have a lot more dedicated hardware for certain things, a lot of dedicated, uh, instead of, you know, GPUs, we're going to have, uh, what is it, what are they called? Um, there's, a, there's another PU for machine learning is it mpu dpu or, or dpu something something for machine learning specifically some chips silicon specifically made for machine learning so I, I do feel like a lot of more custom silicon custom architectures are going to be part of the entire world so um and hopefully that brings us yeah. faster things and well more efficient if anything yeah well even like arm so like i my wife so we she had a brand new MacBook, but it was the Intel, the last right. iteration of the Intel version. And I got, when I started working with Alkira, I got an ARM uh, MacBook, first gen. And Nightmare. my battery doubles her. Double, yeah, easily. With the easily. brightness, like, I don't know how it does it, because I always thought the screen is what just drained that sucker. And that's a lot of it. But yeah. that processor is very efficient. And I can go all day without plugging that sucker in. It's great. I, I have a first gen MacBook Air with the M1 chip. I went on a cruise, five day cruise. I didn't charge my laptop for five days. It just like worked. I'm like, this is crazy. Like it's amazing because it's more, it's more efficient. Like it's it's a five watt chip, which is insane for yeah. like for and, and of course for the performance you get. So that's the thing. I'm I'm really hoping that some other manufacturers, some other things come up. They say, hey, listen, um, this is how you can do it, and you know. Thanks to the speeds of those chips, um, cross-compiling, building different things, or even just kind of emulating things on them can be seamless, right? In the past, of course, it was a lot more difficult because of the limitations of, of hardware, but 
no matter what kind of hardware you use now, I feel like software should be plentiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point about the CPU architectures. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you would have told me that this would have been possible 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you, especially no. with the battery life and the optimization and such. Yeah, and, and but, ARM, yeah. ARM is an old architecture. It's like it, it, ARM, ARM is actually an acronym for ACORN, ACORN Research Machines. And ACORN, ACORN, ACORN. Acorn. That's where Acorn. Uh, Acorn is a is a computer company from the UK, which used to produce Acorn computers, um, like in the time when the ZX Spectrum was a thing. So it's like the early eighties. So they're an old architecture. They're they're old, but they've been building. They've been expanding. Like everybody's phone is an ARM computer. So absolutely, and they have ARM instances in the marketplace. So they're everywhere now. It's you, yeah, it's so, a thing. I actually, I actually yeah. encourage people to, to to switch to ARM whenever they can because again, it's it's more efficient. It is less costly for the amount of performance you get. So if your EC2 instances are running a general purpose workload, something you feel like I can give that a shot, check out ARM definitely. For sure. Well, it's really been. I guess we're up to about an hour now, so I guess it's quitting time. It's quitting time. Um, where can uh, where can the folks find you? And by the way, this has been a great conversation. I've had a blast just Same. nerding out with you. Same. You know, I can um, talk about this all the time. So, uh, uh, where can people find me? Uh, I think the best way to find me and the best way to reach me is LinkedIn. So go to LinkedIn.com and search for Darko Mesaros. Um, you will find a big bald head with a beard, um, and you can find me there. I think that's that's the easiest way to do. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as well. You can find me there. But but uh, I, I tend to just spend a lot more time with, with LinkedIn and um, I, I tend to get a lot more great interactions here. Um, you can also follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash AWS. That's where I stream a lot. So I do a lot of live streaming there. So you will find me there. And um, I guess, um, yeah, um, at, a, at a retro computing convention near you. So Awesome. No, thanks. <laughs> I'll put those in the show notes. Thank and, you, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Love the hat, love the the decorations in the office. Thank you so much.